This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Well, we hope you enjoyed last week's program, which is a look back at some of our science and technology topics, something we probably won't want to do again in the months to come, because we've got a lot of backlog of data. As a bit of follow-up regarding last week's show, we would note that, uh, inspired by all that science, Mr. Whelan tried to donate his body to a medical institute, but they turned him down. Now, as I understand it, the reasoning was that he actually has to be dead, not just look like it. Some weeks back on the show, we talked about how we need to focus on the positive more and how to be happy and just, you know, get out of get out of looking at the future. Because the future is looking a little bit dicey in some areas, and it's probably better to live in the present. My understanding, this is a lot of what motivates the people who are involved now in, in microdosing and making themselves more happy and being here now. And that's something we'll uh, also need to return to talk about at some point in the future. In this regard, I'm, I want to quote uh, novelist Lauren Groft, who the Wall Street Journal recently uh, quoted when she said, if we are sensitive to the world, if we're paying attention to how profoundly astonishing the world is, every second would make our hearts burst. And you know, it's true. In spite of all of its, uh, its, its negative aspects, it is a marvelous world that we inhabit which prompts me to dip into a quote from Steve Jobs, who once said, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. On the other hand, I can't resist this meme, which came across my transom recently. And as far as I know, this is true. The meme said in the 1980s, A&W tried to compete with McDonald's Quarter Pounder by selling a one-third pound burger at a lower cost. The product failed because most customers thought the quarter pounder was bigger. And attached to that is the simple sentence, this is why I don't argue online. And by way of forward promoting, we'd like to note that we contacted UC Merced's Dr. Roger Bales, Distinguished Professor of Engineering there, and he has agreed to speak with us on this program about his op-ed piece about how we can save water while creating clean energy by putting some shade over our state's irrigation canals, an idea perhaps whose time has finally come. But one thing we do miss when we don't do this show is just some of the random items we pluck out of the air and talk about. And we, we, we assume that you've missed them too, which is why we're going we're gonna to take a deep dive into miscellany for this particular segment. And as is often the case, as we start it, we're really not quite sure where we're going to wind up. But let's, let's have a go. Starting, I think, with a, uh, a collection that we have gathered of the good, the bad, and the ugly. as we usually do uh, on the week magazine for these selections we would note that a few weeks back it was a good week for freedom of speech with the news that the school board in katy texas 
has dropped its ban on cartoon illustrations of buttocks in children's books. The move comes after parents complained that wholesome classics like Dr. Seuss's Wacky Wednesday had been pulled from library shelves. Only explicit frontal nudity will now result in a book's removal, said board president Victor Perez, not, quote, just because they showed a little drawing of a little boy's rear end, unquote. Well, I'm glad to hear this because I do have a metal plate that I purchased over in Spain uh, of an old ad for Copper Tone, where the little dog is pulling the girl's suit bottom in a rather graphic way. Yeah, it's nice to know that that wouldn't get me in trouble if I was in Katy, Texas. It was, on the other hand, a bad week recently for Human Endeavor, with the news that a Florida man, and of course, why is it always a Florida man? But in this case, Florida man Ray Balucci was arrested 70 miles off the coast of Georgia while he was attempting to run across the Atlantic Ocean on a giant hamster wheel. I like this guy. Reportedly, Balucci was apprehended for threatening Coast Guard officials with a bomb, a charge he denies. I kind of think the Coast Guard took this guy into protective custody. And it was an ugly week recently for the Secret Service with the news that President Biden's German Shepherd, Commander, has bit yet another Secret Service agent. And what is the tally so far? Well, apparently this, uh, this dog is now has 11 biting incidents to his name. Yay. Apparently a White House staffer has said the President and the First Lady were working to help Commander cope with the often unpredictable nature of the White House. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if my dog had bit 11 people, I'd be hearing from the Animal Protection Services people. Uh, hasn't anybody in the White House ever heard of a thing called a muzzle? Apparently not. Let's have another round of that, shall we? Apparently it was a, a good week for Floridians a couple of weeks back with the news that there's a state bill in Florida that's going to require safety training to operate a boat and also increase the penalties for boating while intoxicated. If you're keeping score, Florida leads the nation in boating fatalities with 65 last year. And we didn't see a published out on how many of those fatalities related to alcohol, but I'd be willing to bet just about all of them. We also have a sneaking suspicion that the efforts of Ray Bellucci to run across the Atlantic in a giant hamster wheel may have something to do with alcohol imbibing. But again, that's just a hunch. Now, a lot of Floridians are apparently up in arms over this idea that you have to have some skill before you're allowed to drive a boat. I have to admit, when I bought a boat many years back, there was no requirement for me to uh, take the helm. And as a general rule, that worked out okay. And I can't resist segueing at this point to an item I've been holding on to for about a year, which is that French hunters are also up in arms. They are fighting a proposal to bar them from drinking while shooting. The ban, which was proposed last year, is one of 30 proposals by senators responding to a petition demanding tighter safety rules after a hunter in 2020 accidentally killed a British national who was chopping wood in his garden, mistaking him, and we're not making this up, mistaking him for a wild boar. Are you sure it was accidental? No, I'm not. There's a bit of tension between the Brits and the French. Yes, that's true. And under this new law, hunters would be subject to the same blood alcohol limits as motorists. France's powerful National Federation of Hunters said its members was being stigmatized by the restrictions. 
The group's president, Wally Schrein, said, a drunk guy on a bicycle is dangerous too. Well, we, we wouldn't argue with that, but we'd have to say that a drunk guy with a gun is yet more dangerous. Now, French officials say that 9% of serious injuries and deaths in France are alcohol or drug-related. And boy, do I think that's a lowball estimate. But anyway, we would like to note that it was apparently a, a bad week a couple weeks back for robot waiters. Apparently, in South Korea, the robot waiters are losing their jobs to other robots. A Korean robotics executive told the Financial Times, we are worried that cheap Chinese robots are dominating our market. It's difficult to compete with them on prices. Doug, I got a question. Uh, Do you have to tip a robot waiter? I think only if the service has been exceptional. And speaking of robots and wielding guns, as we just were, it was an ugly week, we'd have to say, last week for robotics manufacturers and and probably the NRA with the news that Massachusetts may be the first state to regulate gun-wielding robots. A proposed bill from State Representative Lindsey Sabadosa and Senator Michael Moore, both Democrats, would ban the sale and use of armed robots and drones with exemptions for the military and law enforcement. Said Sabadosa, things are really changing. It was important to get something on the books as soon as possible. Yes, Mr. Rillon, as far as I know, in California, it is still legal to have an armed robot. With the remote control? Uh, apparently. Do you know where I can get one? No. Well, Mr. Rillon, yeah, if you're really interested in uh, pursuing robots, uh, uh, I, I, would send, I think I'm going to send you off to Chipotle. Because according to the Washington Post, your Chipotle burrito will be rolled by a human, but its guts may soon be assembled by a robot. Article by Laura Riley notes that the fast casual chain announced last week a new automated digital make line, make line in quotes, that uses machines to build bowls and salads to customer specifications. Human employees are then expected to incorporate the robot assembled ingredients into burritos, tacos, and quesadillas. I would welcome consistency with burrito, the contents of a burrito at fast food places. Not that I go there very often. Wait, so you you have a problem with how they assemble burritos in most fast food places? Well, when I get them, which is not very often, the rice is in one place, the beans are in one place, the meat is in one place, the cheese is in another. All right, well, clearly you are in favor of robot construction of Chipotle burritos. I'm not in favor of Chipotle burritos in any way. Well, all right. And we need to close an item that is both, I think we'd say, bad and ugly, although somewhere embedded in this is meant to be some good, which is the news that the Australian government has released a draft plan calling for pet cats to be kept indoors at all times and for hunters to be allowed to shoot feral cats. The aggressive plan is aimed at taming the out-of-control population of feral cats in Australia, which kill 1.5 billion native mammals, birds, reptiles, and frogs in Australia each year. Several Australian marsupials, such as the bilby and the numbat, neither of which I've heard of, are endangered partly because of cat predation. Environment Minister Tanya Pilbersek said, we are declaring war on feral cats. They are walking, stalking, ruthless killers. Some environmentalists are welcoming the plan. Others said humans do far worse damage to the Australian wilderness than do cats. All right, we're looking for some good news here to talk about. 
And inspired by last week's chat, uh, or re- revisited chat with Curtis Ebsmeyer about his book, Flotsometrics, which talked a bit about how the oceans are filling up with bits of plastic. Mr. McGillan went out and found an, an article about how shampoos and soaps are mostly water and how you can buy them without it. Anyway, it's an interesting piece. The author, Michael Corrin, said the first thing he did was to address his shaving kit. Instead of using shaving gel, he sprung for a shaving soap puck. Well, slightly more expensive up front, he said, I got a closer, smoother shave with my stainless steel safety razor. You start thinking about lotions, conditioners, and creams in the bathroom, noting that most were once sold as powders, tablets, and concentrates, but as plastic became more popular, adding water and repackaging the personal care products in bigger containers became far cheaper and more convenient for manufacturers, creating a lot more waste. Until I read this piece, I did not, I did not realize you can get tablets of toothpaste that you pop into your mouth, soften up, and then use in lieu of a, your regular favored toothpaste. And of course, it's, I think, a, I think a well-known fact that uh, a bar of soap still works pretty well in the shower. And this is a topic we'll probably return to in the future. And I think I'd like to frame the following as a good news item, which is something we talked about in this show a long time ago. Phenylephrine has been put into all sorts of cold medications because they yanked the Sudafed out of these same preparations because some knuckleheads out there can use Sudafed to make methamphetamine. And the idiot solution by some combination of our drug manufacturers and federal authorities has been to just take it out. Except for the fact that phenylephrine, they're now admitting, doesn't work. If it's administered via nasal decongestant sprays like Afrin or Mucinex, Sinex, Max, it's okay. As an injectable medication, it's okay. But if you take it orally in products like Sudafed PE, Vicks Dayquil, Theraflu, and others, well, pharmacist Leslie Hendelies was quoted in the New York Times as saying, well, uh, the pills are not unsafe. That one ingredient just doesn't work. Like if you have a stuffy nose and you take this medicine, you still have a stuffy nose. Which is true, but now that, now that we know that it doesn't work, perhaps something can be done. Perhaps we can put the Sudafed back in these medications because the truth of the matter is very few people are using pseudoephedrine to make methamphetamine. And speaking of drugs, another good news item is the fact that the VA and Medicaid can and do negotiate with suppliers on drug prices just like they negotiate payment levels for other services. But Medicare had been legally barred from anything similar, allowing prescription drug prices to skyrocket for seniors. This goes back to the Bush-Cheney administration when the drug industry was able to write their own legislation and get it through saying, yeah, Medicare can't, can't negotiate with us. We give you the price, you pay it, or you go home. Now, you'd think this bit of free enterprise would, would appeal to the conservative elements in this country. It definitely does not appeal to the conservative elements in the pharmaceutical industry. Like all industries, they tend to favor monopolistic practices. By the way, this is being phased in over the next couple of years, so we'll see if it does not have a good effect. It should, it should. Something else that should have a good effect is the fact that MDMA is now expected to get U.S. approval as therapy for PTSD. What's really sad, for me, is to realize that as I just had a a medical school reunion, in this case, I'm astonished to say my 40th, 
I was talking to some of my classmates about how it was that when we were in medical school, they were talking about MDMA as a therapy for PTSD. Looks like we've been going down the wrong road now for four decades, but maybe at last we can get back where we needed to be on this. And what has to be some good news related to tech, the U.S. government is finally getting off its fanny and doing something about the monopolistic practices of Amazon and Google, which is to say they're suing them. A week or so ago, Amazon's antitrust moment arrived in a move that had been anticipated since Amazon critic Lena Khan became chair of the Federal Trade Commission in 2021. The agency filed the big one against the tech giant, a complaint describing a sweeping monopoly that squeezed small businesses. Meanwhile, over the Department of Justice, lawyers there, and also lawyers from 38 states, have laid out a case for Google's prosecution, noting that Google has abused its position to establish and maintain its search dominance. They're zeroing in on the $10 billion a year Google pays to Apple and others to be the default search provider on smartphones. We talked about getting lawyer Tim Wu on this program to talk about that. We did not do so, but um, Mr. Whalen, we need to give that another look. I think so. Another what we would have to consider a good news item uh, out in the South China Sea. Apparently, the Philippines Coast Guard has removed a floating barrier that China installed last week in a contested part of the South China Sea. The Chinese Coast Guard had laid the 1,000-foot barricade of white buoys near the Scarborough Shoal, an uninhabited atoll 543 miles from China, but just 143 miles from the Philippines, that both countries claim. After a Philippine ship arrived to fish there, China had staked a contentious claim over nearly all of the South China Sea and the islands within it. Its military has been building bases and artificial islands there for years, despite intense pushback from neighboring countries. And in what is surely a good news item for the Swedes, It appears that uh, Bob Menendez, Senator, the Democrat from New Jersey, who's now in a bit of trouble, may help the standoff over NATO membership for Sweden by the fact that he apparently resigned from the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Menendez had been blocking the sale of 40 U.S. F-16 fighter jets to Turkey because of its military incursions into neighboring Greece. If that sale goes through, President Erdogan said he'll drop his own veto of Swedish NATO membership. And in other international news, we should have more to say about Bob Menendez in just a minute, but uh, we would note that that Army private, Travis King, who was about to face disciplinary action in the U.S. military and decided the best way to escape that would be to flee into North Korea, which we would have to add really does not reflect clear thinking, we'd have to say. Well, apparently Sweden, uh, bartering for the U.S. because we don't have official diplomatic relationship with North Korea, got Mr. King back. They arranged for King to be expelled for illegally intruding into North Korea. For its part, the Biden administration has said the U.S. made no concessions to secure his release. And Radio Prolox is unable to confirm the rumor that Kim Jong-un was trying to barter Travis King for Dennis Rodman. There'll be a couple of oddball items uh, from around the world that we need to talk about, I think, starting with Argentina. Argentina is eliminating income tax for nearly all of its workers, which you'd have to think is going to do bad things for balancing their budget. But then again, when you look at how the economy is managed in Argentina, you just you have to wonder, you know, 
is it insane? Or is it just constant uh, games to fleece the public for the advantage of the ruling uh, elite? I, I don't know, but Economy Minister Sergio Massa, who's running for president, announced that if he's elected, he will make the policy permanent. Massa is part of the ruling Peronist coalition. He's running neck and neck with libertarian firebrand Javier Millier in next month's presidential race. Under his radical plan, only the top 1% of Argentinian workers, top managers earning more than 48000 a month, will pay income tax. And small businesses will get a two-year payroll tax holiday on new employees. Reportedly, with an inflation at 110%, Argentina has been struggling to make the $2.4 billion payments on its debt that is due each month. Now, as far as I understand, when people like the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank uh, dole out money to uh, basket case countries like Argentina, the loans are generally secured by the fact that an individual nation can then tax its citizens to pay back the debt. Pretty sure if I was Deutsches Bank or Chase Manhattan or Wells Fargo or whatever, and I learned that uh, the Argentinians were not going to tax their people anymore, I I think I'd, I'd probably cut back on the loans. Wouldn't you? Yes, Mr. Millen like, likes to point out, I think, that uh, the old saying is generally true, that this sort of foreign aid taxes poor people in rich countries to give money to rich people in poor countries. And the question is arising as to whether India might change its name. Evidently, India's official dinner invitation to a G20 summit they held recently uh, referred to the country by its ancient Hindu moniker, Bharat sparking speculation that, you know, it could change its name officially. Before Britain occupied the subcontinent back in 1858, locals generally called the land Bharat or Hindustan, although versions of the name of India had been around for centuries. In recent years, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's Hindu Nationalist Party has been renaming streets and towns that bear English or Islamic names, but not everyone favors the changes. I would rename the name of the country to the Bahamas. Okay. When I read this piece, the light bulb went off over my head when I realized we'd talked in the past about the various stands that used to be part of the USSR, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan. There's a couple other stands out there, Afghanistan and Pakistan, but geez, I hadn't really thought of the fact that India was once a stand, Hindustan. Well, stand just means land of, does it not? I believe so, but all the stands are speaking different languages. So how can that be? I'm struggling with this a little bit. You know, why would Kazakhstan be a stan if if stan is a word that's in Hindi Urdu? I'm confused. If you know the answer to this out there in listener land, please don't hesitate to drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. And you know, we're trying to make an effort in this program to you know just maybe be a little less negative. And I think we probably need to try and enlist Bernie Toppin in this endeavor. Apparently, Elton John's lyricist had some uh, pithy things to say uh, for NY Mag, which notes that it should come as no surprise that he would have some strong opinions about song lyrics. But they note that for the past six decades, he's bristled at the mention of a train bound for nowhere in the 1978 Kenny Rogers hit The Gambler. Says Toppin, what do you mean? That the train is, that train is going somewhere, man. And apparently he also can't forgive Billy Joel for tonic and gin, a phrase concocted to complete a piano man couplet. One of the worst ever, says Toppin. 
Although notes NY Mag, Toppin is not ready to apologize for creating the words to We Built That City, a song, by the way, which I do like. But this 1985 Starship hit has frequently, has frequently been cited by a bunch of rock music snobs as the worst rock song ever. Top 10, anyway. Toppin says, If I didn't write it, would I like it? No, but I did. So I do. To which I would just add, hey, hey, Bernie, lighten up. We think he needs to come down off his high horse just a, a little bit, particularly since uh, among the lyrics that Bernie Toppin has penned are the following. Benny, Benny and the Jets. Benny, 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 Benny and the Jets. Benny, 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 Benny and the Jets. Benny, 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 Benny and the Jets. And there's actually several more, but I... I think you get the idea. And we need to close off with one uh, final item here about uh, political correctness run amok. People are irked at the fact that uh, Helen Mirren, a non-Jew, is portraying Golda Meir, the former Israeli prime minister. And the main role in Oppenheimer also went to a a non-Jewish person. And worst of all, as Bradley Cooper is attempting to play Leonard Bernstein in an upcoming movie, people are outraged over the fact that he added a prosthetic nose for the role. And yes, there is an outcry out there saying that, you know, uh, if someone's deaf, they should be played by a deaf actor. If, if someone's Jewish, they should be played by a Jewish actor. This reminds me of, of a clip I just saw recently featuring Dustin Hoffman on the David Letterman show, describing how it was that for the movie Marathon Man, Hoffman stayed up all night to look terrible and disheveled as his character is supposed to be in the movie. Reportedly, and Hoffman repeated the story when he showed up, for the shoot the next day, Sir Lawrence Olivier took a look at him and suggested, why don't you just try acting? The Jerusalem Post said this fear could have been avoided if Hollywood cast more Jewish actors in major Jewish roles, which caused Slate to respond with, be careful what you wish for. The argument that only Jews are exceptionally qualified to play other Jews could be flipped, say they are less qualified for non-Jewish roles. I don't know, we're puzzled by this. Nobody got upset when Charlton Heston, who is not Jewish, played Moses in the Ten Commandments. And on the flip side, Kirk Douglas, who very definitely was Jewish, played Spartacus, who was not Jewish. There are so many examples of this. Paul Newman, who is Jewish, played Cool Hand Luke and Butch Cassidy. Daniel Day-Lewis played Hawkeye, an Indian, Bill the Butcher in Gangs of New York as an Irishman, and Abraham Lincoln. Anyway, we'll follow this story because we're pretty sure it ain't going to go away. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. <laughs> Benny and the Jets. 